Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Skeptic Hangout, the place where we sit back, relax, and chit-chat about intriguing and sometimes controversial topics through the lens of skepticism. We have with us today Richard Gilliver from the Skeptic Takeout and Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me. We have back with us again our two special guests, Ascalon, who is one of our lovely ACA volunteers, and Kyle Brewer from his self-titled YouTube channel, Kyle Brewer where he produces short and engaging videos on science topics. Today, we are going to be talking about astronomy, not to be confused with last week's topic on astrology. So grab your English tea or your boring straight black coffee and join us as we discuss all that is, all that was, and all that will ever be. This is episode 36, Astronomy. So before we get too far into the topic, I just wanted to throw out a quick reminder. Um, don't forget to take a moment to like this episode and subscribe so that you can catch all of our shows. And whichever platform you're using, if you want to, just go ahead and hit that bell, that notification reminder, so that you'll know every time we release a new show. Okay, gentlemen, astronomy. So last week we did astrology, and we had a difficult time with the astrology, astronomy, astrologer, astronomer. So, um, audience, bear with us if we have to say that word particularly slow to make sure we get it right, Um, or if we happen to accidentally interchange the two. So, I'm going to, once again, let Kyle take this, um, because I just love putting people on the hot seat, especially my friend. (laughs) The more I like you, the more I'm going to put you on the hot seat. Um, There's a big, big difference between astrology and astronomy. So, for our listening audience, what is astronomy? Yeah, so astronomy is the study of all things celestial, all things space, from celestial bodies like stars to black holes to planets to galaxies like our own Milky Way. Um, yeah, that's that's the basic rundown of what astronomy is. Um, it has to do with space. So, guys, um, let's get this off the table really quickly, because I know that we'll be delving back and forth into the two of them. We did this in astrology a lot, where there's a lot of crosstalk between astrology and astronomy. So what um, what are the differences or the big distinctions between astrology and astronomy? That way we can get it off the table and move on to more interesting topics. Well, one is science and the other one isn't. I like yeah, it. That's, Short, sweet that's to the, the point. biggest distinction. <laughs> so one is that, science. That is pretty much it, yeah. Yeah, one scientific observation and the other one is um, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Mildly put. Yeah, that, yes. that was the actual word that went through my head. <laughs> <laughs> We've been uh, doing this show too long together. <laughs> I know, right? We're going to start finishing each other's sentences. It's going to be really weird. Um, yeah, so... Um, astronomy to me has always been a really fascinating topic um and kyle kyle's videos touch a lot on these topics like just the vastness of space which is usually well beyond our comprehension um i should i say usually i'm, I'm going to assume out there that there's that person that's like well i can comprehend the vastness of space good for you not right? a chance. i can't i mean chance, right? no. there's a there's a great <laughs> hawkwind song uh from way back when called space is deep 
And I think it's one of the greatest <laughs> titles for a song that's ever been literal heard. and metaphorical. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, talking about astronomy, I uh, I remember when I was really young, and we're talking about nine or ten years old, so we're, we're way back into the last century. Uh, we um, uh, we visited. Uh, not sure what county it's in. I don't know if it's Cornwall or Somerset, somewhere down, somewhere on that kind of little peninsula of England at the bottom. Uh, Cornwall's not a county. Well, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> I um, it, uh, stop correcting me. Um, Leave that for the know, Facebookers. I've lost a trip. No, so I went. To, there's there's a satellite station down there, or there was back then a satellite station down there called Goonhilly Satellite Station, and they had a visitor center. And we went to the visitor center, and it was fantastic. It's, it, it was brilliant. Learned a lot about like I, I, like I said, I was really young, and it really opened my eyes to kind of the technology that goes into observing space which is i think sometimes something we forget about when we're talking about astronomy it's so kind of uh normal now to kind of talk about it and understand it as what it is which is viewing the heavens but uh, there's so much technology and of course we don't just view it in the visual spectrum we look at it with radio waves we look at it with you know we send satellites up there to to have a look at it for on our behalf and and a lot of these pictures like this wonderful image we've got behind Kyle uh, are composites of lots of different methods of looking at space yeah put into one whether it's infrared light or a radio light <laughs> and 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 that's all these fascinating images uh, and not usually just they're not taken from one photograph the composites of because these areas that area behind kyle it's not just a few meters across in the night sky. Light years we're talking light about years light years. thousands of light years the horsehead nebula is something ridiculous like thirty thousand light years and and if you look at it in, in the night sky it's through a telescope it's tiny it's barely even perceptible and of course, we need to draw or make the distinction of, of uh, a light year is not a measurement of time, but of distance. Right. Uh, this is something I went over in the last video I made, because a lot of people will, will hear light year and they think, well, how long is that? Like, well, no, no, no. It's, it's, a, it's a distance. It's, yeah, it's not only time. Right. Which yeah. is approximately five trillion miles per I light I mean, year. give or take. That's yeah. a that's a and lot. That's, yeah, one light year being that. To, to break that 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 down into something which is really incomprehensible, it's three hundred and sixty-five thousand miles a second. That that's that's how yeah. far light travels in one second. So that's a speed. Miles. Yeah. I do need to correct one thing. It's it's actually one hundred and eighty-six thousand miles per second. Ooh, called okay. out on his own podcast. Look at that. <laughs> Actually, that's so kind of what sorry. we're here for. That's kind of what we specialize in is putting things out there and no, then allowing people to correct me, yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Please correct that's me. That's probably Please one of our no, biggest no, strengths is you, no we're problem. wrong you, a lot. But. You, were, you, were, you were right if you were using kilometers. Uh, Ky- Kyle's allowed to correct me. Raymond isn't. <laughs> Ascalon isn't. Yeah. Ascalon isn't. No. Um, 
Yeah. So, so what that means is the the distance that light can travel within a year at that speed. That's what the distance of one light year. So it's kind of like the the really 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 big 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 version of say like a mile or a foot. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's even comprehensible, like even how far away one light year is. So when we say that like this or that is one light year away, and I don't know of anything that's specifically that close. Um, that is an incredible distance. Like mind-boggling distance, right? Um, and even the closest star besides our sun is four point two light years away. Yeah, so crazy. Star. More than twenty trillion miles. Yeah, so that is where I think a lot of like lay people get into the astronomy can sound an awful lot like woo-woo, right? Like, how do you know for a fact that the nearest star is four? And I know we have measurements and mathematical models, and we do a lot of observations, but a lot of people don't know about the processes that go into astronomy so if i were to hear as say a spiritual person like the nearest star is four point whatever light years away my first thought not knowing the process would be well you just made that up or how do you know that for sure or how is that any different from my claims right like it's kind of incredible well i guess the key difference is you can kind of go into detail explaining why we know this and give the active mechanism behind it Unlike with when you ask uh, an astrologist the mechanism behind uh, their belief, you'd, you'd never come to anything as concrete as the scientific explanation. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of observation that goes into it that people just don't quite realize. I'm going to stop saying people and just say myself when I was religious um, or when I was, I will say, astrologically or astronomically um, ignorant. I didn't realize just what processes go into discovering these different things and how much of it is just um, we think of if it's in a textbook, it's presented as a fact. But there's a lot that scientists say, well, we think this or we're proposing that or we have. um, Oh, what's the word where you you pull data out of other data, um, interpolate like we've interpolated the data to mean this. But what's that? Extrapolate. Extrapolating was the word I was looking for. Thank you. Extrapolating. So what we get, um, which I think is fascinating and incredible, but which a lot of people um, really have a hard time with, is we get best guesses that over time get refined and refined and refined. So science um, or scientists change what we know about the universe as we get new information, right? So it changes yeah, and all I, the time. I think it's uh, I think it's one of those areas not not expanding from astronomy a little bit, but the whole study of the night sky is one of those areas that encompasses different disciplines of science. Mm-hmm. So you, it's not just astronomy. You've got astrophysics and you've got particle physics. and You've, you've got all these different things which all compa- combine and cosmology, all, all, all these different areas of science combine to form the big picture. And you've got to remember when you're looking at the night sky, we are literally looking, as far as we know, we are literally looking at everything that is. Everything. Nope. We are looking at everything that was. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's yeah. it. I'd love to get here. Yeah. So that I meant to bring up during the astrology conversation. I totally forgot. So you have the stars in a specific position, and then they produce some sort of like, oh, because of the energy from these stars, and da 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 here's this, this horoscope. But what you're looking at in the sky happened um, billions and billions of years ago. So you're actually looking at 
what would have happened to your um, career or in your love life had you existed, you know, 10 billion years ago. Um, Because literally those stars are in completely different places now and they have completely different properties, like some of which have exploded or they've like, uh, what do you call it? Combined, not combined, uh, run into each other. Collided. God, words are failing me for this, this particular episode. So Ascalon will be my my second half of my brain and will be finishing my sentences for me. <laughs> I do have another quick correction there. Um, astrology isn't anything to do with the stars. It's the planets in the solar system. So, well, you're technically right. Oh. Looking at it from doesn't Earth, it with, probably would be behind. Yeah, but doesn't it have to do also with like um, constellations and stuff too, or am I mistaken? Um, I don't know. Actually, no, no, you might be right. Yeah, yeah, but the birth charts and things. I believe yeah, yeah. so. Yeah. I don't know, but you are right that like the... They do speak a lot more on what the planet's movement is than what the star's movement is. But I think stars do factor in there somewhere. And, and I, I do want to make one small uh, correction. Yeah. So when we look out into, into the, the night sky with our naked eyes, mm-hmm. all the stars that you're able to see are actually within our own galaxy. Uh, you need yeah. more complex imaging systems to view anything outside of our galaxy. In That's fact... True, yeah. The stars that we see are just a small little ring. This is just a little bubble around our central. Around the arm that we're planet. on. Yeah, I wish I could put up a graphic because you're right. When you're looking with your naked eye, not with satellites um, or advanced imaging systems, you have like this. So we have the Milky Way galaxy and it's got all these little arms, right? And we exist on one arm of it. If you could draw like a, a radius, like a circle yes. around what we can see, it would be just a very small part of that. So yeah, that is a good correction. Thank you. No problem. I, I that's one of the things I wanted to touch on actually the 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 idea that the the kind of uh, uh, the evolution of our looking at the night sky mm-hmm. from uh, doing it with the naked eye to to, to kind of the really phenomenal uh, instruments we've got that help us do it these days and like what's that what that's meant. To us, as 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 a race, and our how it's expanded expanded our knowledge uh, over time and things, and and the, the price that people have had to pay for it, you know, there's obviously the, the famous case of Galileo was in under house arrest mm-hmm. because of his uh, his his interest in in looking at the stars and some of the ideas he had. Yeah, in our um in. With what I'm teaching the kids right now, we just went over um, the heliocentric versus geocentric, both of which are wrong because the sun is also not the center of the universe, right? The sun is the center of our solar system. But um, one of my kids, we were we were researching Copernicus and Galileo, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it was Copernicus waited until he died, I guess, to publish some of his stuff because he knew that he would be persecuted if he published it while he was alive. And um, so we had a whole discussion on that. It, it created a whole sub discussion in our class about it was more historical than less scientific at that point about um, the worlds and the cultures in which these two gentlemen lived in. Right. And how careful they had to be with what they said, because it could be it could bring on a death sentence. You know, um, something you just said about the heliocentric model being wrong, uh, technically, from your perspective and anyone's individual perspective. When you look out into the universe, you, you are, are the center actually, of the universe. You are the center. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. wherever you are, your uh, bubble. You're looking your, at like your, a bubble. Your, yeah. Yeah. Your, your bubble shifts wherever you are. 
So basically, you are the center of the universe. And and that's just reminded me of a point. I'm I'm a big fan of a, a show on on astronomy on YouTube by uh, Dr. Specky Smethurst, who's an astro uh, astronomer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's an astrophysicist, but a lot of her show is about astronomy. And uh, she did a great explanation about uh, the Big Bang. And it, it, this was the first time I'd ever heard it explained in this way. This completely blew my mind. It was, like, and she explained it that people think the Big Bang happened somewhere out there, and right. thing expanded out from that. But really, the Big Bang happened everywhere. Everywhere. Because that's all and, that there and, was. Yeah. <laughs> that that just completely blew my mind when I watched it. She's brilliant. If you're if you're really interested in astronomy, I'd suggest as well as Kyle's stuff, you go and look at Dr. Becky Smetter's stuff because she's brilliant as well. You, um we'll well. we'll get a link. Um I'll talk to you offline and we'll get a link that we can put in the description for the listening audience. Um that we can because I, I wrote that down on my notes as something that even I want to look into myself. Um but we'll we'll add that so that people can check her out. So this idea, this expanding idea that, that like we're constantly learning from observing the heavens, we're constantly learning more and more as, as time goes on and our instruments get better. So as a, as a resident expert on the, on the panel, I'm going to put Kyle's going on the spot a lot. Oh, these Kyle, last like, oh, no, wait, you got yourself in <laughs> No, not at all. What, 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 uh, and, and of course... Uh, Ascalon can answer this as well. You know, I'm interested in both sides of both opinions and Laura, of course. Um, what would do you think from your perspective is in, let's say in the past hundred years is the greatest uh, uh, invention that has aided us learning as about looking at the night sky? Barring um, the telescope. Oh, like damn, that was my answer. No, the barring like the oh, basic telescope, which was an easy answer. That's why I said the last hundred years. So something oh, gotcha. that's... Take that out of the table, yeah. I'm not sure what the... Kyle probably know the name of it, actually. I'm not, I couldn't honestly tell you what the machinery is actually called, but it, 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 it picks up... I don't know if it is it radio waves or, or emissions of radiation rather than actually something visual. Um, that's mm. going to annoy. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, there, there are radio telescopes that observe the night sky. There are... uh, I think my answer would be the laser beam. Oh, Ooh, interesting. And what's your, what's your reasoning behind that? Well, for example, we know how far the moon is based on these. Uh, you, you, what you can do is you can bounce a beam off the moon and have it return to Earth and calculate the time it took based on, and since we know the speed of light, we mm-hmm. know exactly how far or how long it would take that therefore we know how far it is away am, am i uh, right in thinking that, that that's bounced off an actual reflector which was left there by one of the yes. apollo missions mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that Just is to check awesome. that fact. yeah that's cool and that's not something that we can do right now with um planets let alone stars but it's cool that we're, we're getting there yeah imagine when we start going to mars and we can do stuff like that like with mars um, and oh goodness i'm i'm forgetting the term it, it might be spectroscopy uh, that I'm thinking of, where we uh, get, were able to lo- look at stars, observe them, and tell, based on the light shifting, what it's made of and how far away it is uh, based on yeah. on light. When and you say light that's... shifting, you're talking about that red shift thing, right? Where we can red, tell what direction Red shift moving. and blue shift, yes. Yeah. yeah that... And of course, the, the chemical makeup, if you, 
you know, there's that basic uh, kind of really basic scientific experiment when you get little bits of elements and lob them into a fire and they change colour. And that's actually yes. uh, that's actually used in in spectop spectop. That's yeah, that one. Said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and to determine what uh, 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 extraterrestrial planets makeups is actually done by looking at the colours and uh, seeing the chemical makeup of them. Yeah, the that, atmospheres. Is, that is something that I found super fascinating um, when I was starting to teach my kids about like just the really beginner astronomy, which I think we've already kind of gone beyond what you would normally learn in elementary school. I'm pretty sure. But um, is that we don't just take pictures with a camera of the planets and the stars. We, we use these other um, data collecting devices that, that take in. And I'm not going to try and say that word that Kyle said, um, but that try to take in whether it's radio waves or or um, or uh, radiation or their chemical signatures. And so they assign a color. So when they when they get these things back, they get data, not a photograph, but like data and they assign a color. And so if it's like got copper in it or iron or zinc or whatever the case may be, it's assigned a certain color so they can start building these pictures of these planets um and they can kind of tell what they look like because of their chemical signatures and like i showed them the picture it almost looks like um what what do you call it It almost looks like the dna thing but it's it's a chemical dna where or a spectral dna right where it has the different um where each um element falls on the spectrum like what image it makes and then they're able to determine what what element is in that specific star or or whatever. Um, There's yeah. a really cool documentary. I think it's on Netflix, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. And it it's all about the first image they took of the, the first black hole they took an image of, Ooh, which was nice. not too distant uh, in the past, a, a couple of years ago. I think yeah. it was something, maybe yeah. even not that far. And uh, it it was going through, and it was uh, there were. There were kind of various stages to this documentary. One was when they'd got groups of scientists talking about kind of putting theories together and exploring ideas. And there were like little bits with Stephen Hawking on there before he passed away. And then, uh, uh, but the the main, the kind of bulk of the program, the push of the program was actually forming this image. And it showed you these different teams they had mm-hmm. of, of, of uh, in, in different disciplines, again, of science who were actually working on getting this photograph together using this data. They were building up a picture from simply data and interpreting that data. And they had different yeah. teams interpreting the same data and seeing like what results they came out with. And of course, we've all seen the end result, which was the the, the first ever image of a black hole, which was but the the look if you have a look at the newspaper headlines, you'd think it's they've taken a photograph of a black hole but when you actually watch that documentary which documents it it's so in-depth and uh, advanced and mind-boggling mind-bogglingly complex you've got literally the best minds in the world from different disciplines working on that one thing yeah it's incredible well that kind of um brings up i I think i was kind of touching on it earlier is that like we we really assume when we see pictures like the nebulas or different galaxies and stuff we assume that it's like a photograph that like i don't know the hubble took or something we have so much scientific ignorance out there just within the general populace which makes sense i mean not everybody is an astronomy astronomer and we're not all going to study this but 
it amazed me just how ignorant I was. And I'm still incredibly ignorant. Like, I wouldn't even call myself an amateur astronomer. I would just say I find it interesting, right? Like, I know very, very little. Yeah, I I watch documentaries. I think they're, like, wicked awesome. But, um, like, the pictures are not pictures that we take. We we gather data about what signatures are coming back, and then we turn it into a picture with computer modeling and stuff. I just think that's fascinating. And I think in some ways it actually produces something that's more true to what's out there than what a photograph might take in the sense that it, it, it's got more information within it. Yeah. And I think something that a lot of, a lot of people um, sometimes don't realize is just the sheer scale that these, these photos represent. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get flat earthers because uh, the photos of, of earth that we have, most of them are not just one picture. It's it's like you said. It's it's a it's a, a stitching together of several images to create this one composite image. So they say, well, why isn't there like one whole picture of the Earth? Because the Earth is huge. Even it's from the moon, they can only get a sliver, or not a sliver, but they can only get a portion of it, right? Uh, well, that like, famous like, photo with the the moon or the the Earth rise rising? over the moon. Yeah, that was that was uh, I believe one photo oh okay. i think i could be yeah, wrong I think, on that. yeah i think you're right that's yeah. i believe that to be the case and it's still like i think it's it's like a, a little portion of the earth though coming up um and i'm sure maybe you probably could get well that would be a good question could you get from the moon could you get a full picture of the earth with, with a wide enough lens i don't know but anyway you can't you can't just do it from the atmosphere like where we have no. the satellites and and, and not a chance around yeah can't do it. I mean, you only have to look at edge of Earth orbit uh, to see it. You, the curve is still very, very uh, small. It's mild, yeah. It, you know, if if that's a better word, mild, yeah. <laughs> um, when when you're looking from even like near Earth orbit, uh, of of course, William Shatner's just been up, and there's several uh, images of him looking out of the window at the at the curve and. Despite what you think about uh, someone famous spending millions of dollars and uh, on something which could be argued is not entirely necessary when there's lots of people to feed down here, then yeah. you know, despite that, it's still a fascinating thing to see people going up there, and you know, the guy's nearly ninety and is is being on the edge of space. That's that's fascinating. That Side to note. me is fascinating. Side note, my girlfriend was actually in the same room as William Shatner just a few days ago. Wow. She was, she was at uh, Comic-Con here in Indiana. No way. Yep. He was, I mean, so, I know she was there, but like, I didn't know that he was there. So that's cool. He, she, she almost got a picture with him, but it was like a hundred bucks. And she had already spent enough on the little gift she got me. Aw. Yeah. I don't know that. Too much. What's that? So a hundred quid for a picture is just ridiculous. But for the oldest man in space, I, I, I would, I would do it. I mean, now he's not just. What's that? Had he been to space at that point? Well, it's. I guess technically, it's not exactly space, but I would be the pretentious bastard that would always say, <laughs> "Close well, enough." Technically, yeah. we're always in space. You know? <laughs> yeah, we're all astronauts, aren't we? And and <laughs> and the, where the edge of space is, of course, is a contested issue in itself. It's not something that's agreed upon by all the experts in the field. It it's, it has different definitions. Yeah. Of yeah. Where okay, the edge so of that space is. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that brings up a question that I have right before, because now we're going to go to commercial break here in a second. But when we say that the, the space is 14 point whatever, eight or whatever billion years old. And of what I heard um, when I was listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson was that, well, that's the edge of what we can see. That's the furthest, the furthest we can see into space is 14.3 or whatever billion. Well, not quite. Right. So that's why I get confused. I get confused. Is it, is it extrapolated backwards with math or is it pushed out forwards what we can see? And if it's what we can see, is there potentially something else beyond it? I mean, I have so many questions about the age of the universe and how it's, well, and I, I've had it explained to me before, but it's complicated. The universe is around, at least for our observable portion, is around 14 billion years old. Yes. That's what I mean. However, yeah. however, it is around 90 billion light years across because of the rapid expansion of space by dark energy. Dark energy is this, 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 um, this force that we don't yet understand. We, we, we don't know what it is. There's no sugarcoating it. We don't know. All we know is that it is expanding the universe faster and faster and faster. So while it's 14 billion years old, it's 90 billion light years across because of that rapid expansion. So let's go to commercial breaks. And when we come (laughs) back from commercial breaks, let's talk about the horizons of the universe. Those points that we can't see beyond. And we'll, we'll discuss that when we get back. we got coming up if you watch the non-profits last week you'll have seen us two us two that one that one that side whichever <laughs> side she's on to me uh hosting together for the first time which was great uh it wasn't the first time we'd worked together as i clearly not last week because we'd <laughs> been on the secular parenting special on uh jenna Mew's channel on mm-hmm. uh if if was which is a fantastic channel go and look at that and subscribe to that and we're going to be on that regularly if everything works out so um on the first of november my own channel is having its birthday party Uh, a live stream produced by the very very wonderful ethan michael it's going to be starring these three wonderful people who are all kind enough coming to celebrate with me and Ascalon's probably just going to rib me all the way through it. I expect nothing less of him. Um, that tends to be what our relationship consists of, me being nice and him being nasty to me. <laughs> um, but there's going to be a whole host of wonderful people on there. We're going to have Cynthia McDon- McDonald, we're going to have Jenna Mew, uh, Martin Robert. Uh, oh, God, there's so many people. I can't even remember everyone's name. So many people coming to help me celebrate the, the first birthday of my channel. It's Please go awesome. and check that. Laura, what have you got coming up? Okay, so this last weekend, I just did the nonprofits. So um, uh, check that out if you didn't see it. And then I have it up again. And we have a Veterans Day episode. So that will be premiering on the 14th. So Veterans Day is in the middle of the week. It's going to be the, the following Sunday. But that's going to be a really cool episode. So everyone check that out. Um, and then, yeah, like I said last week, we've got stuff in the works um, for GenMU's channel. I know Richard just spoke on it. And then um, I have some stuff in the works for um, the Promethean Secular Frontier. Um, I know that I will be on um, on the 1st, November 1st, Monday, November 1st, which should be next week after this particular episode airs. 
So um, yeah, catch me on that. Um, and that's all I've got going on. What do you gentlemen have going on, Kyle and Ascalon? Well, uh, just be on the lookout for a few new uh, space theme videos coming out soon. Other, other than that, there's not a whole lot uh, planned, but you never know. And be nice on Facebook or he'll delete your posts. <laughs> for, for, for those who don't know, Kyle's uh, one Moderator. of the uh, Facebook moderators for the ACA fan groups. So yep. uh, that's what Laura's referring to. We've got a good team down there. Uh, actually, everyone here except Laura is a moderator for the ACA fan group. So we, we've got a lovely little team down there. I'm a moderator in chat, live chat. I'm just not a moderator on Facebook. I'm a moderator on both because I'm hugely Because you're just like one of those, I do everything kind of guys. He's just um, anywhere and everywhere. No. <laughs> I'm just a Facebook mod because I don't have a computer. I am only using a phone. Oh, nice. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep, all um, my videos are recorded with a phone. All Kyle's videos are absolutely fantastic, by the way. You should go and check him out. We'll put a link in the description. We absolutely, yeah. absolutely love watching them. It's the, the just the little short <laughs> snippets and the easy to digest, uh, fantastic language. He's got a soothing voice as well, which helps. So. Ah, he's <laughs> just blowing smoke. Don't listen to and- people. <laughs> no, 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 subscribe to him. Don't don't let him be modest. And also, it's funny because this is the astronomy episode, and that's exactly what his subjects are. They're all based on space and stuff like that. Um, he just did one on like light speed and and all kinds of different topics. So check him out. Um, and I will put a link in the description to make sure you guys can find his stuff. And then Ascalon, I know that you uh, volunteer a lot for the ACA, so I'm going to put you on the spot and have you kind of um give a quick little plug for the ACA and what they've got going on and. And how you fit into all of that, like what you do to help? Um, well, I mean, I have to, of course, mention vagina if we're talking vagina. about the ACA. <laughs> Get that out of the way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're, 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 man, there's loads of stuff going on. Um, but generally, you won't see my presence on the internet unless Richard drags me out of my cave. Um, if you do happen to notice my presence on the internet, you've probably done something bad. Because <laughs> he works in the background, yes. <laughs> But yeah, he he works hard for the ACA, so check their stuff out if you're not. Most of our listeners are ACA followers, but if you're new to us and haven't heard of them, um, check their stuff out as well. Okay, so I guess the only thing we have left to discuss before leaving commercial break is the Facebook page. Go and join our Facebook page, uh, our fan Facebook page. Have a conversation with us. We, we link all the episodes up there. You can talk about the episodes, correct us when we go wrong, which we have been corrected several times during this episode by everyone. So, and but that's what we welcome. We want you to correct us if we're wrong. We're, you know, when we're not above being corrected, we know we make mistakes and we want you to correct us. Go correct us, go watch us, agree with us if you agree with us, disagree with us if you don't. And let's get some conversations going around the subjects we're having. They're all fantastic discussions and they do not end when the shows end. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Okay, so before we left for commercial break, um, we were talking all about the vastness of space and how very, very, very little Richard and I actually know about it. But um, moving forward, before commercial break, Richard brought up um, horizons, and that can mean different things. So I'm going to let Richard kind of take it and reintroduce what your question was. Yeah, I, I, I know very little about this. So I'm going to rely heavily on Kyle to prop me up here. As far as I'm aware, 
we were talking before the commercial break about uh, the age of the universe being, I think, it was, I think it's something like thirteen point eight billion years, give or take. But the the size of the universe is far greater than that because of the expansion of the universe. So there are these these stars in the universe which we will never be able to see because they're expanding away from us faster than the light will ever get to us. So we will never see. And I think there are, they're referred to as horizons. I don't remember the names of them, but I think there were three of these horizons uh, that, that expand out on, and they all represent different uh, areas of, of what we'll never know. Uh, I think the first is simply the, the, the one where the light will never reach us. And I think the furthest one is something ridiculous. Like, like just space will will never, ever be able to know or understand because it's expanded that far away from us. Um, so I'm, I'm just interested in what your guys' takes are on that. If you know anything about it, if you do, can you expand on it? If you don't, what is your opinion on it? Well, you're right. Um, there are places in our universe that are so far away and expanding at such a fast rate that we will never, ever know about them. Uh, it's to, 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 to say it's an understatement is a huge understatement. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so we have what's, uh, I'm forgetting the exact horizon name of it, but we have the edge, quote edge of our observable universe, which is around 90 billion light years away from us or across rather and it's expanding as, uh, some parts of it faster than light relative to our position um and when if you've ever heard of like multiverse theory mm -hmm. or, or multiverse hypothesis yeah what that an explanation for that would be outside of our observable bubble would be other quote, bubble universes uh, that would have their own you know, set of stars and galaxies, but it's, it's outside of our observable plane, so we can't know about them, making it, in essence, another universe. So that is an interesting take on the multiverse concept, because the way it was always described to me was like there's some sort of border within these, quote unquote, bubbles, right? That, that there's something that kind of separates the bubbles. But what you're, you're kind of describing them more as um, observable bubbles or like visual bubbles in the sense that like, well, anything living within that universe, that's all that it can experience. Like that is its, its boundary of observation. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And that is, to me, it's a, a little bit more believable and understandable. It's easier to digest the idea that, well, within any, like, let's, let's assume that there's other intelligent life out there. That would be beyond the edge of our observable universe. Our observable universes could technically then, under that explanation, they could overlap quite a bit, but our specific points of observation don't fall within that overlap. They would fall outside that overlap. Therefore, we would never have any sort of knowledge of or, or interaction with that other hypothetical intelligent race. Yes, and an, uh, another scary fact that's kind of related to that, at some point, all the local galaxies around us will have expanded so far beyond our 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 vision that our own galaxy will 
appear to be the only one in the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that which, is trippy. Yeah. Now, now it gets... we, we live in a very interesting time that we can study these other celestial bodies because at some point that will not be a possibility. Yeah. Asquan, what is your thoughts on that? Like I see you nodding and it seems like you're, you're talking about it. <sighs> to be honest, it's all kind of mind-blowing. It's, as you said at the start of the episode, it's so hard to get your head around some of these concepts but just because of the sheer scale of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have no doubt that Kyle's done his homework. Um, I'm, I'm just going to have to take his word for it in this front. <laughs> yeah, that. It... Go on, Laura. No, no, you go ahead. I, I, I was just going to expand on what Raymond said about it being mind blowing, big. Even, even the we, 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 when we're talking about when we get to these like crazy concepts because they're that far away from us. Uh, in time and space, uh, it, 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 we seem. I think sometimes we forget even the most kind of, as we said at the top of the show, even the most basic distances mm-hmm. uh, are vast and almost on on our tiny human scale, almost incomprehensible. Just the distance between us and the nearest star, it, it's uh, from a, from a human scale. It's it's ridiculous and and there are tens of billions of billions of these things <laughs> and it's, you know it's it's I'll, I'll the whole thing is just i love it it's kind of it, it it's trippy but it's also science in in a, a really good way rather than just making shit up about like taking high water and experiencing god which sounds all trippy and sciencey, but it's just bollocks. This is actually trippy and sciencey. This is where real transcendent genuine, or existential feelings come in. Yeah, real genuine science, and yet yeah, at the same time, wait to even begin to get your head around it is just mind blowing. And even it's if like, you look, sort of, sorry, Kyle, if you look even closer to our solar system, like what you were saying earlier about how just how big the Earth is that people don't realize, I think. Uh, you can probably correct me on the numbers here, Kyle. That, that is like 1.3 million Earths could fit inside the sun, maybe just under a million if you did it edge to edge. Well, uh, well, well. You see, I made a video about that, and I I made a mistake. Oh. Um, turns out there's actually another video on this. Uh, not 1.3 million Earths Earths can fit in the sun. It's actually more around 700,000 to 900,000. Because of the way spheres stack. Yeah, oh, it's tiny then, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> and that discrepancy, honestly, like it's it's a relatively small discrepancy if you're thinking of well, did the person who calculated the first time where they talk about the volume of the Earth versus the volume of the Sun and yes. how much? If, so, if you liquefied the Earth and poured it into the Sun, how many Earths could fit in there, or was 1. it like what you million. said? Yeah. So it's interesting that there are different ways of measuring or or. Um, like coming up with these these numbers so yeah if you kept the earth as a circle and stacked it like marbles inside the sun obviously it would be a lot less so yeah, about seven hundred thousand, which is still freaking mind-boggling <laughs> yeah because we can't even freaking picture the scale of our earth alone let alone a number like seven hundred thousand. that's just not you can't conceptualize that no you can't it's that's, that's what i mean it's it's just craziness 
The other thing that really bends my mind is uh, is, uh, is pulsars as well. I've, I've sort of looked into them a little bit. I, I understand very little other than it's probably the only known thing in the universe that's faster than a Scotsman that's just dropped a penny. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yeah, that I so I'm starting to learn little tiny bits and pieces which leaves me actually you know the Dunning-Kruger effect where when you start to learn something and you, you think you're smart on it you actually rate yourself as being smarter than you really are with that in mm-hmm. mind like I feel like I'm starting to learn a lot about astronomy but then when I go to like vomit it back up for an audience I'm like oh god I don't remember any of the numbers I don't remember any of the specifics um, which is very humbling and it reminds me um, just how quickly we can espouse like a, a certainty and knowledge but then really have no idea what we're talking about so yeah, I mean, I have that feeling all the time where the more I learn, the more I understand the depth of my ignorance. Like, yeah. it, sh- sure, my, my, my pool of knowledge expands, mm-hmm. but I'm able to, to see the depths of the bottom more clearly. And I realize, oh, shit, I'm barely <laughs> there's so the much, surface. There's so much more to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And what he that, was. That- that's a great feeling. I don't want to go off topic too much, but that's a great feeling, though, that, that feeling of you know i i'm never going to know everything i i, I kind of my specialities is in like looking at early scriptures mm-hmm. of uh but i don't just do it of one religion because i'm greedy i do it of islam buddhism and christianity and uh, the, i've been doing that for seriously 10 years and yeah. i'm still scratching the surface still and, and that that real when you get to that realization you, you, the, you, you, you're never going to learn everything there is to learn. It's a fantastic feeling. It's a fantastic it feeling. Is. And, oh, yeah. That's part of my whole uh, secular spirituality thing is <laughs> the, that, that feeling you get from under, understanding how much you don't know. Or yeah. in discovering something new. Like when I learn something new that I, I've never learned, especially when it's something super mundane or something that I've been exposed to over and over again, I just, it's a new knowledge of it or a new perspective of it. I get this feeling. It's almost like a glee, right? It's almost like when, when back when I was religious and, and I'm sure there's other religious people who can kind of um, empathize with this feeling. Like when someone translates a scripture in a specific way that it just, it resonates with you. Like, Oh, that makes that scripture more true or that validates my religion even more because that makes more sense. Um, if there's this, this feeling of, of, happiness or glee and that's that's kind of what i get like when i discover it could be super super mundane um so then it gets even more and more and more exciting as the the knowledge gets more complex or the the topic gets more deep right um so yeah i think astronomy more than um most other subjects is that for me astronomy has that depth of knowledge that is so vast and that's the little bit that we know about it yeah, and of course, the great thing about it is that, uh, I mean, I know we've mentioned this a couple of times, but it's not just one discipline, and, and we're mm-hmm. still learning so much about our own solar system. Yeah. As well as the deep, I mean, as, as much fun as it is to talk about the deep, like, dark depths of space, there's still so much we don't know around the corner. And and that it's, in itself is fascinating. I mean, we've just sent a rover to Mars learning new things yeah and you know this this so much astronomy gives us so much to kind of tech in and you could really just pick one tiny 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 area of it and spend a lifetime studying it and still not know all there is to know 
And of course, it's an area where there's new discoveries as well uh, that come up and new ways of new ways of investigating and things. So, really interesting. interesting discovery. What I wouldn't say I call it recent. It was like 2009, if I'm remembering right. Um, the sort of astronomers found like a, a big cloud of gas and dust, sort of almost roughly at the centre of the Milky Way. It was a what was the name of the chemical? It was ethyl ethyl formate. It's got two very interesting properties. It's responsible for the smell of raspberries and the smell of rum. <laughs> best smelling, wow. best smelling spot in the in the galaxy. Then <laughs> I'm gonna have to do a video on that. That is super cool. Yeah, I look forward to that. That would be fun. Um, yeah, I, something that that Richard said made me think of this. But um, well, and in going with like the edge of the universe and known universe and all that other stuff as well. Um, talking about not knowing what we don't know. What really like blew my mind was that when um, astronomers had first pointed um, a really, really high powered telescope, probably a satellite, um, out into a, what they thought was an empty part of space, right? So, like, okay, nothing there. It's totally black. We can't see anything. Let's take a picture of that, right? And what they got back was just myriad, like, just galaxies. Like, that space was full of shit. Right, we just couldn't see it, and that to me, um, now we kind of take it for granted because we we look out into space. We have these pictures of space, and we kind of have this idea of, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot beyond our galaxy. There's lots of galaxies. But to be that first person that pointed that telescope at that empty little space and didn't know what they were going to get back, right? And to get back, like I don't, I don't think people people now realize what uh and I, I don't know if we've spoken about this specifically but i don't think people realize now what uh, uh an achievement and what a revolution the hubble space telescope was when that went up because that changed everything as far as deep space astronomy goes yeah it's definitely knowledge we take for granted huh that didn't exist like just a few decades ago I mean, here's here's a really like interesting fact for you. If you hold your hand out at arm's length and um, just trace out the line that your thumbnail makes, that little space in the sky holds millions of galaxies. You know, you can you can take the the full moon and just that little space that the moon hides behind it is millions of galaxies. Like yeah. there's so much out there. And I think this is one of the, the best, um, maybe I'm biased, but it's, it's one of my, my favorite and I think the best fields of study is astronomy, is, is the study of space. Because, God, there's just so much out there that, that can make you feel, one, connected with, with your planet. Like I've, I get this, this great sense of, of connectivity by studying space, by studying our origins in space. Yeah, it's funny because like the rhetoric that i heard a lot when i was religious was that well if we're just a speck on an arm in a galaxy in the middle of space we're insignificant and my and i i kind of bought that at the time my take on it now is yeah yeah we're pretty fucking insignificant we are we're we're a little speck on a little arm in a little galaxy among billions trillions who knows how many galaxies right in in a universe that we can't even begin to comprehend the size of or the the true scope of we're pretty insignificant, but that, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. No, that is still freaking amazing. That of all the places in space, here we are. This is us. Like we evolved into this. 
and I mean, and then we get to share these experiences with great friends. It's it's such a cool thing. Yeah. I mean, who who needs religion when you have a, a conversation partner and the universe to look at? And uh, that's not to discount religious people from being interested in astronomy or, or space or anything like that. Because... Oh, of course not. No. Uh, a lot of them, a lot of them are, and and I suppose it, it in a weird way for them, it, it comes. Well, you, Kyle and Laura probably answer this firsthand, having been religious. Uh, Ascalon, you've never been religious person, have you? As far as I'm aware, no, no. I've, really, so, Church of Scotland's pretty much the the wet fart of religion in this part of the world. It's <laughs> largely inoffensive. The uh, uh, so. Uh, uh, Kyle and Laurel probably able to ex- uh, know what I'm talking about firsthand, but I'm looking out at the vastness of space as a religious person. I'm sure that reaffirms your faith in it when for when you're coming from that perspective, because you're looking at it and you're oh, saying, sure. "Look at this! It's Absolutely. the glory of God that you know manifest." Yeah, yeah. For for me, it was just like, well, God must be even more powerful than than I can imagine to create all this and it's just i mean what else could you know it's the argument from from ignorance you know what else could have done it yeah yeah and and there's a lot of um it works both ways right there's a lot of um glory to god because of the the vastness and incredibleness but then there's also a lot of like back engineering like okay well then if the, the the universe is this old how could god have possibly done it and then that again reaffirms how powerful god is oh well he could have easily put us on a planet and created us and then boom stretched out the universe around us right and it could have easily been like um something that he appeared to make it look billions of years old when it isn't or whatever or he he was the one that moved mm-hmm. these things into these places so um and stretched the light to come to to reach um earth so that we could see these stars so then it becomes an even greater testament to god and how how um infinitely powerful he is it's funny how these religious ideas never existed before the science uh, managed to uh, be there. I know there's a lot, of, a lot of people in uh, Islamic apologetic, apologetics talk about how the Quran sp- spoke about the Big Bang and stuff. Yeah, it's funny how none of them actually gave a detailed description of it before it was discovered and actually discovered the Big Bang themselves based on the writings of the Quran. They fit it in retrospectively when the science has been done to try and affirm their religious beliefs. Yeah. Is that called ad hoc rational rationalization or is that something post hoc? Post hoc. Ad hoc is on the fly and post hoc is after the fact. Got it. Thank yeah. you. So let's let's get back to astronomy then. And let's get back. Let's get back to near Earth astronomy, seeing as that was kind of the jumping board we went from. Um if you had the, and this goes out to all all three of you, and I'll answer it as well. If you had the chance to closely observe and learn as much about anybody in the solar system, which one would it be? Easy. Ooh. Go, you go first. Uh, that would be the moon Enceladus because of its immense ocean underneath the icy icy crust. Oh, and uh, the potential for life there, right? Yes, because it's been heated oh, yes. by now. Now you're gonna you're gonna look at me like Kyle. How dare you? But I'm forgetting if Enceladus is a moon of Jupiter or Saturn. Oh my God, I don't want to say. 
I, I thought that I want to guess Europa one. that I'd say the uh... Europa. Um, that's one of them. That I'm pretty sure Europa is Saturn. No, no, no Europa is Jupiter. Jupiter, Jupiter. Yes. Yeah. That was. I mean, we're going back. I'm going back 20 years here when it was kind of speculated that that may have an ocean. Has that changed? Oh. Uh, no, it's it's uh, even more confirmed now that Enceladus right. does have an ocean underneath its icy icy crust that's much, much deeper than our oceans here. And the cool thing is it's actually been heated up by uh, gravitational friction. The, 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 uh, the, the planet is so massive that um, the moon is being caught between its gravity field. It's and the tidal forces. Yeah. yeah, the tidal force is causing it to like stretch out. So it's got a, a heated ocean underneath this icy crust. So there could definitely be life down there, and I would love to to be able to go study it. Is 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 it is it the case? I'm just going. I'm going to come back to Lauren Ascalon with that question just briefly. I just so, want to ask you on on that point. Is it the case that the gravitational pull? I think it's Jupiter is so massive that one of the planets actually bulges like that just because of its uh, gravitational pull on it. It actually changes the shape of the planet. Well, the moon is lemon shaped. The moon, yeah. Am I right in thinking that, Kyle? I'm sure I read that somewhere. That's not something I've heard, but uh, you might be right. I don't, hmm. So I did cheat and I looked it up, and Enceladus is a moon of Saturn. Saturn. Right. I will so, not forget. Yeah. So Europa is Jupiter and Enceladus is Saturn, but the same basic concepts of um, encased in ice and more than likely has an ocean underneath. Yeah. Okay. So Ascalon. Favorite oh, Neptune, hands down. It's uh, it's one of those. It, it's quite a banal thing, but it really fascinated me when I first read about it. Is it? It gives off more heat than it takes in from the sun, and it, nobody knows why. I think, much like Kyle, it's something I would really like to go and find out what the fuck is going on there. Interesting. I thought, I thought you meant much like Kyle, it gives off more heat than it takes in. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were returning to the subject of Kyle's chili again. <laughs> I, uh, side note, I am making that this weekend. Ooh. <laughs> you have to send us more photos to make us incredibly jealous seeing as we're in Ocean Away. You know, he did post the recipe, so if you follow him on Facebook. <laughs> I keep so, tweaking the recipe a little bit. I do that with my recipes, too. I just, we're getting way off topic now. Yeah, sorry. Laura, yeah. Laura, you're Okay, so I'm one of those body. people, I'm going to give a non-answer answer. So... My kids ask me a lot, like, what's your favorite this or what's your favorite that? And the way my brain is wired, I don't really have favorites. Um, so it's hard for me to answer that question. But but two things that fascinate me that I'd want to know more of, I can't I can't narrow it down to one necessarily, but Venus and um, Jupiter. And for two completely separate reasons, they're both they're both very gassy planets. Um, and in, in but Venus um, has more of a makeup that's similar to ours, right, in terms of it having a solid structure underneath and then a gaseous atmosphere. A really dense atmosphere. Um, so I'm curious to know um, in which respects Venus is similar to us and in which respects it's different um, and whether or not it's possible. To, like we have extremophiles now here on Earth, which is like animals that can exist in incredibly extreme environments. Mm-hmm. So is it possible, the, my question, to have like, say, microbes or, or some microscopic um, organisms that exist within the atmosphere of Venus? And I know the pressure is so intense getting down toward the actual surface that I, I don't know that a, a cell body could maintain structural integrity on the surface, but floating up in the atmosphere, certainly it's a, it's a possibility. 
right? That has so. that has been been studied, uh, and a lot of conjecture has Lots come of up about it. Lots hypotheses, yeah. The thing is, it's so acidic oh, that that, that uh, the molecules may not be able to, to come together to form in the first place. So the the cell, yeah. So it all comes down to like cell structure and stuff like that. It's like is it, is it an environment that will allow for cells to to develop? Um, and evolve and so yeah maybe that already answers my question but even yeah, but even then like even if life isn't possible just knowing more about um venus and its history even like how it can be so close to us and yet so chemically different um and mars is the opposite other than not having an atmosphere it's very similar to us and it, it very well could have potentially supported an atmosphere in the past there's a lot of evidence that it did once yep. have an atmosphere so mars and earth could have been yeah yeah there's a lot of um there's even isn't there still water on the caps of Mars? Like don't don't they have um like they have, there's, um, there's a couple of different forms of water on Mars. Yeah. So Mars and Earth are very similar, like twinsies, but they've had something happen in the past to make them um go two different paths. And then Venus is also a hard, rocky planet, but it's very, very, very different from Earth and Mars in terms of like its atmosphere and stuff. So that interests me. But then Jupiter. Um, I heard like a really out there sort of theory in a documentary I watched. I don't know in the scientific community how much clout this theory has, but um, I heard that most star systems are are binary star systems and that we're mm -hmm. actually unusual and that we're not. And there's a theory out there that that Jupiter is actually a star that failed to form, like something happened with the chemical um, oh, reaction process where it just didn't fire off and, and ignite and didn't have the same. I don't even know what you would call it. Like processes at the sun, it like puttered it out. Didn't go, it didn't undergo nuclear uh, fusion. Thank you. That I was struggling. Yeah. And I would love to know more about Jupiter and whether or not it's a potentially like our star's binary failed star. Well, you would need several masses of Jupiter put together to create a star. It, it, it there's Jupiter's pretty far away from a star. It's more of an exaggeration when people say that it's a failed star. So is it just like one of those like hypotheses that got thrown out there? And so these are all things that I just hear and I don't really like study or know about, but um, yeah. So what, what would be the reasoning for throwing out a hypothesis like that? Or, or what is the, the... that's a good, it's a good question actually. Yeah. Um, and we don't have to have the answers, but those, those, those two fascinate me. I've all the planets fascinate me, but those two are the ones that like those questions are off the top of my head. Well, if you like Jupiter, uh, you probably already know this fact, but Jupiter keeps us relatively safe from near-Earth objects. Yes. Yep. It's yeah, kind of our... We don't have more... I, I remember when, because uh, I'm old, I remember when Shoemaker-Levy 9 hit Jupiter and the, the kind of... the A, shockwaves, and B, fascination that went round the world due to that. If if there are any kind of younger people watching or people who... who aren't aware of what it is in the 90s i'm not sure what year it was the 1990s uh, a comet uh went past jupiter and broke up and actually smashed into it and i think i don't remember there were five impacts uh for five different pieces of this comet and each one was the size of the earth Ooh, it wow. completely obliterated us if it had hit us we'd have just been obliterated and it, it broke up in Jupiter's uh, due to Jupiter's massive gravitational pull and got sucked in. And yeah. this, the the images you actually saw the impact one after the other, 
they actually they they filmed it actually filmed it. Go and look it up. Shoot comic shoemaker leaving nine, and uh, it 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 was an amazing thing. It was fantastic. But yeah, Kyle's absolutely right. It's like it's it's like having a a, a dog in your yard protecting you. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, a really it's, really really big dog. <laughs> Uh, really yeah, probably be bigger than your house technically <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so my my, fa- my favorite astronomical body is uh, uh well not favorite but the one i'd I'd like to see study like lots more study on is pluto i think mm. pluto was uh, and and again i remember this happening when it was declassified from a planet to a, yeah. a at the time of planetoid, no. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it, if it's. <laughs> I don't know if it, it's been uh, reclassified since Mm-mm. as something else, but it was originally declassified from a planet to a planetoid, um, and it's uh, it's at the time when that happened, it fascinated me that they uh, they reclassified things in such a manner anyway because I wasn't aware that that happened. I thought when planets were named, that was it, and and, and classified, that was it. It turns out that's not. Things change. Yeah. And um, I, I get this impression that because it's no longer a planet, there's not as much interest in it as there once was. And I, I, I love an underdog story. Oh, and I, I wonder if that's in the scientific community or pop culture, because scientifically, I, I don't they, know. Just, they just had a... a, a what do you call those things like a probe that they shot and they yeah, got yeah. images of Pluto. So I know that in the scientific yeah, community, it's, they're it's, still it's super be interested a pop in it. culture thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah, I just, I, I want to, I, I mean, keep that. in mind, Pluto is five times less massive than our moon. Yeah. It's tiny. Yeah. You know, it's, it's small and it, it does fit the category of all the other icy bodies out there that look like Pluto. So to categorize it with them just makes more sense. And it's in the and same kind of zone as them. It's just out. It's just on the inside of that. Uh, what's the belt? The, the Kuiper belt. Kuiper belt. Yeah. Yeah. What's and the one this between is coming from Mars... somebody who loved Pluto? So. <laughs> and you know what, you reclassify something doesn't mean you love it less. What's the belt? Is it the Oort cloud? The one that's closer to us that's near Mars. The the no, asteroid uh, belt. No, the. Oh, is that the further is, one out? That's way out. Yeah. It's anyway, about. Uh, a... uh, I think it's about a light year. Uh, a lighter size bubble. We're, we're coming to the end of the show, and I might as well end on the lack of knowledge that I started <laughs> the show. With. <laughs> I love it. Well, the point of the show isn't to learn necessarily; it's to get curious and to start asking questions, right? And I think we've certainly done that. So we do have just a few minutes left before we close up, though, gentlemen. So, what are your guys' closing thoughts? I'll let you guys fight for who gets to to talk, and well, you'll both get a chance to talk, but who gets to talk first? Go ahead, Escalon. Uh, space is fucking big. Bam, there you have it. <laughs> it's proper science right there. <laughs> and it's not untrue. <laughs> exactly. You can take that yeah. to the bank. You know, space is huge. It's it's an absolute marvel. If if anyone out there is, has any interest in this, just go wild. Study this. Go down the rabbit hole. It is worth it. And ab- above all else, keep looking up. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just going to kind of echo uh, what Ascalon said and, you know, and, and refer back to the, the, the Hawkwind song. Uh, space is deep in, in metaphorically and physically. And 
I, I, I've always been just, I've ne- I don't know a lot about it. I'm not a, an expert on the subject by any stretch. I'm not even an amateur on the subject. I'm just, it's, it's one of those things where I'm happy to be ignorant and, and just revel in the fact that it's there and we've got access to it and we can learn about it. It's a fucking beautiful thing. Oh, Laura, final word. Um, I'm not going to take the final word. You guys have lots. And I, I um, really appreciate you guys being on. Um, I just want to thank you guys for the time that you've spent last week and this week. Both episodes were phenomenal. And I'd love to keep working with you guys in the future. Um, I also I also really want to thank our listeners because without them, there wouldn't be an us. So thank you guys for listening or watching if you watch on YouTube. Um, thank you for supporting us on Facebook and, and keeping the conversation going. If you're not on Facebook, you should. It's good conversation just to keep it keep it going and, and um, to take what little we talk about in this quick hour and really expand on it over the next week um, or weeks as sometimes we get posts that are, are for older shows. So, yeah, thank you guys all. Um, and we will catch you next time. Um, in the meantime, I am Laura. And I am Richard. And we have with us Kyle and Ascalon. Oh, go ahead. You guys take it. I'm Kyle. (laughs) I'm Ascalon. Awesome. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. See you later.